Shalom. This is Reverend John Ferret, and we are now in Lesson 32, Part 1, in the series, The Gospel According to Moses' Exodus. And this will be done in multiple parts because we're going to be dealing with 14 verses, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. <laughs> there is so much here. Again, I have to say, I was so blown away that here I am in my study and my research as I consider Exodus and it's a historical context. Historical context, not only the Hebrew context and culture, the Jewish roots of our faith, but also the Egyptian context, what was going on in 1446 BC. And I'm focusing in on the ancient culture of Egypt and I was totally amazed what I missed what we all missed. I thought I understood Passover and its meaning. So as we study Exodus 12, I hope you, I, I hope and pray that you will also be blown away. We've got the basics used, guys. We've got, we finished grade school in our churches. We've got one plus one is two and two times nine is 18. But now let's do the calculus. Let's deal with the infinite. So I hope and pray your understanding will also be enhanced and expanded and enriched. So once again, we're going to deal with the real historical context and facts, not from the English that we've learned in Sunday school and our Sunday churches, not from traditions we've learned, and not from rabbinic misconceptions in rabbinic Judaism. Today the Bible is under such attack some great Christian and Jewish scholars see a day when the scriptures could be banned or restricted in its use. They see a day when our religious practices might be forbidden or even squashed. We're beginning to see that happen here in the United States where our religious rights, our religious freedom is being taken away. Now those today who attack his, word, attack his word and criticize it do it from blindness and ignorance. The blindness and ignorance that only comes from the enemy, Hasatan, the adversary, the devil, the father of lies. Now for me, I want to teach the Bible to show its veracity and power, its truthfulness, its trustworthiness. I want to teach so as to show that those who attack the Bible are doing it from a false paradigm. I want to teach it to approach it rationally and intellectually. To teach it as no, as no Messianic congregation or traditional Sunday church does. I want to teach the Bible so that we're going to hear his word as those who first heard it 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago. And for me, this approach has given me a love and a passion for God's Bible like never before. Looking back, I received teaching that was good, but it was so limited. Because in the Messianic congregations I attended and in the Sunday congregations I attended, there was a complete abandonment of teaching the Bible in its historical context. 
I, I'm just amazed how it's ignored. But in many cases, the Gentile Messianic leaders or the pastors in Sunday churches, it's not their fault. One of the things that we've seen is the seminaries have completely abandoned the Bible in its historical context. So I want you to see things like you've never seen before. Come, let's go. Once again, I'm using the New American Standard Bible, and we're going to be reading Exodus 12, verses 1 through 14. But we're going to start, first of all, with Exodus 12, verses 1 through 6. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are to each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, and he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Now we can keep going here. And like I said, we're going to be focusing on our verses 1 through 14. And these are really the commands of God, the laws of God, that have everything to do with the Passover that happened once and only once in Egypt in 1446 BC. Now remember, we left off in Lesson 30 and back in 31. And just as an FYI, I've republished these podcasts for you so that you can listen to them if you haven't because they are so critical. All of this this comes together in such an amazing, amazing way. So if you go to the website, and you find the picture for this podcast, uh, and you look underneath the picture, you'll see, obviously, the session description, and in there I will have the link to Lesson 30 and 31. If you're on an app, like the Podbean app, or you may be on Apple iTunes, I'm not sure, uh, in many cases there's a way where once you're actually listening to the podcast, they may... Uh, indicate that there's something more uh, or show more uh, and maybe a little arrow and if you click on that you might actually be able to see the session description with the links in there. So in session 30 and 31 but especially in 31 Moses had just left Pharaoh. He left in anger never to see Pharaoh's face again. Moses had just forewarned Pharaoh that all the firstborn of Egypt will die. But if you remember, it wasn't Pharaoh. Why didn't Pharaoh die? Because in in Lesson 30, we found out, or Lesson 31, we found out that he was not the firstborn son, if he's Amenhotep II. God's final hammer is set to fall. And now we're reading... Exodus 12, verses 1 through 14, and we should ask, why is this put in here? 
what's this doing here? Now, I learned this from Dennis Prager in his Torah commentary series. He is an amazing Torah scholar. He approaches it from Bible history, somewhat from archaeology, but from a rational, realistic way. He is just amazing. And his references, his resources that he uses, that I am now using, are just amazing. They are some of the best Jewish and even Christian resources that he uses. And in his commentary, I've, I've never seen this before in terms of why is this here? Why not go directly to the night of the coming of the angel of death that's actually called a destroyer? There is no angel of death. There's a destroyer. But remember, God warned Pharaoh of the hail. It was going to happen the next day. The cattle, the pestilence, the disease, it happened the next day. I mean... Without interruption there, we went from the warning directly to the plague. But here we've got this interlude, this interruption. Why this delay? Now, Dennis Prager has some excellent thoughts on this question. And his thoughts really opened my mind to some considerations that are just awesome. So once again, I'm reading from Dennis Prager's Torah commentary on the book of Exodus. Exodus, God's slavery and freedom, the rational Bible. And he makes some comments with regards to this interruption. The Torah interrupts the narrative of the plagues to list the laws the Israelites must follow on the eve of the Exodus. From a dramatic perspective, this is poorly situated. Since the suspense is now at its peak, God is about to bring the final and most devastating plague upon Egypt. Perhaps these laws are inserted here because God will not take the Israelites out of Egypt until they first reaffirm their connection with him. After all, the purpose of the Exodus is not only freedom. Freedom alone can give license and results in anarchy. That's why, in God's name, Moses repeatedly demanded freedom for the Israelites so that they may worship me. Exodus 9.1, 10.3, and also in Exodus 5.1. And how exactly does one worship God? Ritually, of course, but especially eth ethically. That God is primarily worshipped through moral conduct as emphasizes, emphasized repeatedly throughout the Bible. So we go through all different aspects of worship, and Dennis Prager concludes, this listing of laws directing the Israelites on how to worship God, therefore, intended to remind the Israelites that they are being liberated from Egypt to serve God. So they're not just free from slavery, and not just free from misery, but they're free by God's own plan. They're his chosen people to love Yahweh and serve him. So Prager, on his audio commentary, says, all right, now you have to do something for me. I'm not going to set you free yet. You're going to be set free, but the thing is, is that now it's time to step up. Lord is creating rituals, the rituals of Passover. So we're between the warning that Moses gave Pharaoh and the coming of the destroyer. And it's a very special ritual. 
They have to do it everywhere, every year. And every year they have to, every year after this, it's a remembrance. It's a remembrance of what happened here in 1446 B.C. It's going to be a chag. As you read in Exodus 12, 14. A feast, a celebration, a chag. H2282 is a Strong's number, so it's a festival, a celebration. The root word means to dance and celebrate with music, a solemn assembly of joy. But it's only for Israel, and this is what I'm getting from Dennis Prager. It's not for non-Hebrews. We're going to get to that in chapter 12, verses 40 through to 45. It's not for the resident alien. It's not for a foreigner. Now, this makes sense. This freedom, this deliverance, all of this is only for Israel. It's not for us. Now, the key here, too, is the Torah says that the foreigner, the resident alien, the non-circumcised, those that are not part of the Abrahamic covenant, they can't eat the lamb. It's the sacrifice that's the key. It's only for the Hebrews. Now, I've never really seen this specialness before. The specialness that the real Passover was only in Egypt and all the other Passovers, even to today, are only a remembrance. So I, I, I thank Dennis Prager. I'm seeing the truth of today that the Passover Seder is a law for only Israel. The Passover only happened once, and all future Passovers, all future Chag celebrations, feasts, are to remember this awesome event. Now, we remember Jesus' meal, the Last Supper. I'm going to call his Last Supper in these sessions the Passover meal of the Messiah. I'm going to refer to the Passover Seder for the Jewish people, that started here in Egypt, the Passover meal of Moses. We have Moses and we have Messiah. This refers to a session I did prior to this about the connections of Moses to the Messiah and Messiah to Moses. You may remember that session. You can look that up. Now Jesus' Passover meal, the Passover meal of the Messiah, is not this meal. It's a different freedom. It's not the freedom from slavery. It's not the, the freedom from the bondage in Egypt. It's a different freedom. So God, our Lord, our Yeshua, has his last supper in the Passover season on a different night. So we have the Passover meal of Moses, the Jewish Passover Seder is an amazing, miraculous deliverance of only Israel from human slavery. And the lamb, the lamb that sacrifices, is only for the Hebrews. But the Passover meal of the Messiah that we call the Last Supper is also an amazing, miraculous deliverance. But for all, for Jew and Gentiles from the slavery to sin, being free from the bondage of sin, and the Lamb, Jesus, the Lamb of God is for all. Remember John 3, 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I recommend that you check out my vidcast, my video, that goes into this deeper. It's called The Mirror of Passover, The Chiasm of the Lambs. You can go to the website. You'll find on the right-hand side a picture for YouTube. Click on that YouTube picture. And once you're there, oh man, there's, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 videos. And if you slide down, look for the one that says Mirror of Passover, Chiasm of the Lambs. And that resulted in this. And I find it very interesting that I did this way before I ever came into here in Exodus 12 on this podcast. And what I'm finding is Dennis Prager and a lot of the research I'm doing from the scholars that I'm referencing verifies so much that I did before. And for me, I often wondered why Jesus had his Passover meal on the wrong night. Now, what I mean by the wrong night is in Messianic congregations, I heard many views on this. They were interesting, but they were a little bit uncomfortable because the Messianic Gentile teacher, and they're mostly Gentile teachers, they wanted Jesus to be forced to have a Passover meal a Passover Seder with the same purposes and the same meaning as related to what happened in Egypt. But he has a different purpose. It's a different freedom. And so it's God's plan, not ours. And when we put, start putting the Bible in its historical context, all of a sudden we see that Jesus could not have had Passover meal of the Messiah on the same night as the Passover meal of Moses. And it had to do with the fact that each of them are unique. Each of them are special and each of them are separate. Now for God, did he do this purposely? Why? Check out the video. I propose that Jesus' Passover meal, the Passover meal of the Messiah, the Last Supper, could not have happened on the same night as the Passover, as a zikron of Exodus, a remembrance of Exodus. I propose his Passover was unique, special, with a very unique purpose. The same thing with the Passover Seder. Unique, special, and with a completely different purpose than the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Jesus knew this. He celebrated the Passover meal. Of the, uh, uh, he, he celebrated the Passover many times before. But this time, something was different. It's as if God is saying, I don't want to mix up these two awesome events. But these two awesome events are related. To know Jesus' Last Supper, to understand the Passover meal of the Messiah, his death and resurrection, we need to know Israel. We need to know the Passover. We need to understand the Passover meal of Moses and the Exodus. To know the final redemption of Jew and Gentile, God wants us to first understand the first redemption of his chosen people, Israel. So we go back into the verses that we read. And Exodus 12, verse 2 says, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Now, the Jewish calendar, the biblical calendar, is a lunar calendar. 
this month would have been called the month of Nisan, but this would have this name Nisan comes out after the Babylonian exile. And so it's possibly that the month that we know as Nisan now was probably the month of Aviv uh, then. But at any rate, God said that this is the first month of the year. This is God's new year. It, it's so, so special. God says to Israel, your calendar will now be based upon this forever. This seems to make sense because when we take a look at Exodus 12, verse 14, and I'll read that now. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. This is so special. And now God is saying, your calendar, your, your new year starts here. And it seems to set the stage of the calendar for the entire year for Israel, then until today. Now, as a note, the new year is not Rosh Hashanah. This is made up by the rabbis after 70 AD. Rosh Hashanah was not celebrated in Jesus' day. Something happened on Rosh Hashanah. They didn't even call it Rosh Hashanah. Once again, the rabbis, after 70 AD, made up the name. They basically added to what the Bible says. In other words, adding words to what the Bible says. They even changed the name. You can actually take a look at the feast in Leviticus 23:24 in the Hebrew the name of the feast is Yam Teruah the day of the blast it's come to understood the day of the shofar blast doesn't say Rosh Hashanah for more on this go to the website you guys and you'll see the YouTube icon if you click on the YouTube icon on the right hand side click on that and it will take you again to the video channel now, off on the left-hand side, once you're there at YouTube, at the Light of Menorah YouTube channel, on the left-hand side, you're going to see, obviously, a lot of writing and a lot of uh, different places you can click on, but there will be one that will say, Show More. And if you click on Show More, a whole bunch of stuff is going to open up, and you'll be able to scroll down until you finally find a collection of podcasts the Fall Feast of the Lord, Rosh Hashanah. There's the Fall Feast of the Lord, Yom Kippurim. There's the Fall Feast of the Lord, the Feast of Sukkot. And one of them is the Fall Feast of the Lord, Rosh Hashanah. I think it's the third one down in the list. So if you wanted to study that concept more on Rosh Hashanah, I go into the details of how the rabbis made up the feast in there extensively. So... We have the 10th day after the, new, after the new moon of Nisan. We'll use the word Nisan uh, for the name of this month. And so on the 10th day, now first of all, uh, it says this is the month that will be the beginning of the months for you. But in verse 3, on the 10th of the month, they're to each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. So the 10th of a lunar month is the 10th day after the new moon, five days before the full moon. Full moon is always on the 15th of any lunar month. Now there to pick a lamb or a goat, in the Hebrew that's exactly what it says, one year old or younger. This is not a lamb that's a year old. This is a terrible mistranslation. 
You go into the complete Jewish Bible by David Stern. You go into the Jewish Bible, probably the most accurate rendering in English from the Hebrew, the Masoretic text, that was done again in Israel, the Jerusalem Bible. A fantastic translation. And also in the JPS Torah commentary by Sarna, we take a look at the Hebrew word or the Hebrew words there, Ben Shana. And Ben Shana, in proper Hebrew grammar, means of the first year, a son of the first year. Well, obviously, it's going to be a male of the first year, which means a yearling, a lamb or a goat that is going to be one year old or younger. Now, here's a side note. Male lambs mature between five and seven months. They're a yearling, which means they can procreate. They have horns at this time. They're considered rams, but they're not called that until later. What's very interesting is Amun-Ra, the head god in the, in the 18th dynasty in 1446 BC, is pictured as a ram. So lambs were sacred to the Egyptians. Thus, it's like the Hebrews are about to kill Amun-Ra, and this is punishable by death. You can read this in Exodus 8, verse 26, where Moses talks about the fact that if we sacrifice what we normally sacrifice, won't the Egyptians stone us? Also, as I mentioned, to understand Jesus, his death, his resurrection, God seems to want us to know about the Passover and Egypt. Amun-Ra, represented by a ram, represented by a mature male lamb. But Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, he is a male. He's mature. He's grown up. He is the Lamb of God. But he is the Ram of God. We're going to come back to this later. Now, I have a video there at the website. Not a video, actually, it's a podcast. You can go to the website, again, www.lightamenorah.org. And there, there's a search window, little tiny search window up on the right-hand side. And if you typed in R-A-M, Ram, you're going to come up to a podcast called The Archaeology of the Passover, Lesson 4, Part 1. Archaeology of the Passover, Lesson 4, Part 1. Where I deal, again, with the Egyptian mythology, the Egyptian history, and about the fact of Amun-Ra being called the Ram, or pictured as the Ram of God. And how Jesus is a male. He's mature. He's the Lamb of God. We can call him the Ram of God. So again, you could access that website and study that more. Now this connection seems to be done on purpose by God. It's an amazing picture. Again, we're, we're getting this connection between the Passover of the Exodus and the Passover of the Messiah. Different purposes, unique aspects to each. The first redemption sacrifice a lamb or a ram and they're saved from God's wrath 
And in the great redemption, the last redemption through Jesus, we have sacrificed the Lamb of God, the Ram of God, and we're saved from God's wrath. So cool. This is all God's. So we come now to the end of part one. We will continue. We will continue to discuss more amazing aspects of Passover. So we'll see you in session 33 as we continue in part two. Till then, Shalom. Thank you.